Hello and welcome to the Original Content Podcast. I'm Anthony Ha. I'm Daryl Etherington. And this week we are going to talk about superheroes and nothing else, which is why Jordan Crook refused to join us today. I think she gave it a shot, but she couldn't. She didn't. She didn't like it. The thing right. we're talking about. It like being she couldn't a, get into it. Loki. So she said she would try to watch it, and then if she just couldn't do it, she she wouldn't join. And um, she's not joining. So I think we can connect the dots there. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Which I don't think is a comment on the quality of this program. It's strictly a comment on Jordan's taste. Yes. Although I I would also say the one defense in uh, that I would have for Jordan. And, and, you know, other people who maybe aren't getting into the Disney Plus Marvel shows that, um, you know, uh, is, is beyond the quality of those shows is I think they're very much designed for people who've been watching Marvel movies for the last decade. Indeed, yes. And I've seen a lot of, like, editorial to the contrary for this one specifically, which is mind-boggling to me because I, like, I feel like they've just become... Totally, they've like they've forgotten entirely what it's like to not be steeped in Marvel lore. Because I think if you just came to the show new, fresh, you'd be like, "What the hell does this mean?" <laughs> right, and and we can talk about that a, a little bit more once we get into our review. Um, yeah. I think the other big piece of um, streaming and movie related news that also is Marvel related is. Um, that Black Widow came out um, a couple weeks ago now in theaters and on Disney Plus as a premier access release, which basically means that on top of the money that you're paying for your Disney Plus subscription, you have to pay an extra $30, I think, to get access. Yeah, yeah, I think it was, yeah, 30 bucks. And, yeah. and it had, you know, ostensibly a very successful uh, launch. It had the biggest opening weekend of any movie in theaters since the pandemic started and it, then disney sort of did this unprecedented thing where they also they also released numbers about how much money it made uh through premiere access which was not quite as much as the theatrical release but also still like a pretty sizable amount of money um then in the second weekend it the box off the theatrical box office dropped pretty heavily um and like in, in like i think 67 percent um and that's basically more than uh any marvel movie before i mean i think like 60 but like it's it's not like a it depends on like sort of what you think is a dramatic difference because you know avengers endgame i think you know has the biggest opening weekend of all time and then it dropped like i don't know 60 something percent as well not quite as much as um black right. widow but like by a very large amount and and that's sort but of is still a very successful number by yes. regular standards right yeah partly because it's just you know the uh the thing where you ha- if you have like a huge huge unprecedentedly large opening weekend you it's really hard to sustain that um over time yeah. marvel in particular i think has trained has you know this army of really passionate fans who have to see the movie opening weekend which is why they get these like crazy opening weekends um but it, that doesn't necessarily always sustain that said um the National Association of Theater Owners basically used this as an opportunity to push back against the narrative that this was a really successful launch, and they and they blamed um, the the Disney Plus launch for the decline in box office, and they actually they called it a box office collapse, and they said mm-hmm. that both by um, creating this com- competing uh, channel, and then like that both took money away, and then it also made uh, piracy easier which also like took money away from the theatrical release and um yeah so that's kind of where things stand right now daryl what do you make of all of this well i think nothing that the theater owners association said is untrue right like everything they said is definitely true the question is like what is your perspective on it right because if you yeah. look at it and like yes it did have a huge collapse that's right um but who cares i mean the the theater association owners care a lot because that's where they make their money but the question will be does disney care right or do consumers care like those are the two people i think that are yeah more important in this equation like the the only ones that are you like 
arguably theaters are a benefit to people arguably right but it's also one that is like it doesn't need to exist for the other people to get what they want out of it so the numbers that and i think disney's being quiet on this diplomatically i don't think they there's no there's no reason for them to come out and say one thing one way or another about this um like if they came back and were like i mean but we made tons of money they would be like alienated in the theaters and also just kind of kicking them while they're down and to no real benefit uh and it's sharing information that their competitors would love to have which is like hey can we do this same thing that you're doing and still make as much money but like for disney and i think the, the strongest point the theaters make in terms of um disney's interest is the piracy point right like that's really the only leg they have to stand on which is good why it's good it brought that up and that's definitely a risk and that's basically i think that's really from a business standpoint the only thing that theaters have going for them these days is like uh, besides maybe artists uh, affinity right like directors and actors like theaters because they're egotists and they want to see themselves gigantic or whatever um but for the dollars and cents people at disney like the only real argument is going to be did this hurt our wallet and where it's going to hurt your wallet is on piracy right um but the question that will remain unanswered until i mean until i think the well, the only way we'll find this out is either through like earnings reports from disney or something if it's in the financials or through con- future action so if disney continues to do premier release we'll know that what happened was yeah we lost money on piracy but guess what we made more money than we lost by owning entirely the distribution instead of having to pay you a cut theaters so it doesn't matter right like that's that's the that's the math that we don't get to see and will not see we'll just see the results of it right unless it's again somehow revealed in earnings but i don't know how the reporting structure would pan out that way but i've never really dove into disney earnings so maybe right. it does work i don't know yeah yeah and i mean i think you know there there's also a reason why hollywood accounting is is a phrase um that like it's very you know yeah. you can it, it's very it's easy to sort of, yeah to like figure out like what what you know costs and what profits you uh assign to an individual title i mean particularly in streaming i mean with premiere access it's a little bit more straightforward because people are specifically paying the 30 dollars directly for, yeah but that's the public stuff right like that's the like internally they'll know exactly how much it is and then it'll be borne out in their strategy going forward right right i mean i think part of the other economic argument from a theater's perspective is that the it depends on whether you look at the the disney plus the additional disney plus money as money that they would have spent in a theater but now they're spending it on streaming entirely new money or i think the theaters are arguing that it's basically money that people would have spent three months from now when the movie became available for rent on, you know, Apple, right, right. et cetera. You're forgoing future profits and, and yeah, you're sort of like collapsing two categories right, into right. one. Right. You're not actually making more money. You're just pulling money you would have made anyway forward. Although the price tag is high enough that it's, you know, it's, it's more money than you would have made um, just like on a rental on, on, you know, iTunes or yeah. something. Well, new release rental prices are usually... I mean, they're like 20 bucks, aren't they? Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, But uh, yeah, that seems like not that much less, but then it's a third. It's a third more. So if you do a third more on each sale, then yeah, you could pretty easily make that up pretty quickly, right? So I do think that's going to be... And and that, like, they're waiting on that too, right? They're waiting on that to see. But they have different math now in terms of value add to the service. So, um, you know, and internally it would be hard to account for this so i'd be curious to see how they do it but like subscriber retention and subscriber growth are two other things that come into play and the fact that black widow goes into the library of this becomes like a big retention play or a big like new subscriber attraction play right so those numbers might offset a bit that long tail rental business as well right yeah and i mean Certainly, it seems like just the pure subscriber model works for Netflix, that they're spending a lot of money on certain movies, not necessarily movies that we like, but right. um, 
uh, I mean, it, well, there's, they're, they're, they're making a number of, like, mid-budget movies that don't really even get released in theaters anymore, but occasionally they're making, like, really big-budget shows and movies, and, and, and they clearly think the subscriber math works out there. Um, yeah. I would say beyond the, the economics, certainly, um, this seemed like a good time to bring up the fact that I have been back to movie theaters. Uh, I, oh, wow. I've seen a number of outdoor screenings, but that's you know, feels a lot safer. And, and the times I've actually yeah. gone into a regular movie theater... Um, I've now seen In the Heights, which I'm really glad I saw in theaters, and I've seen F9, which is an incredibly stupid movie, but... Oh, but that is made for theaters, yeah. Yeah, and, um, and then this weekend I'm going to go see Black Widow in theaters, so, um, I, at least, I, I'm, uh, I feel the, the pull. I, I, I do, I do like seeing, think it's a better experience than, than watching at home. I mean... Obviously, the mask thing uh, kind of sucks <laughs> right now. Yeah. Um, not not the fact that they're you know requiring masks, or actually in most cases they're not. I'm just choosing to wear a mask because right. uh, I'm not crazy. Um, and the you know that is not as nice as uh, as before. But uh, overall, like I'm I'm glad to be going back to theaters again. Yeah, I mean I. I liked and opted to go to theaters for blockbusters before, but. It was, it was always like, uh, there was like a mounting, like how much am I willing to put up with whatever in order to get the benefits from this? Right. And Mm -hmm. the stuff that I had to like, I I think overall, I just am over that. Like, I think it's like, it's, it's the weight has fallen on the other side of the scales basically. Cause I mean, and it is, it, it was partly the risk, but it's partly just like, like, oh yeah like i don't want to jostle with people like in general i just don't want to and like i don't want to like freak out about tickets on opening day and all like there's so many things that were inconvenient about it that was that were just like okay but i mean it will be cool to see it big and fancy and in like extreme quality like laser projection and all that stuff right those were all going for it but every other part of the experience was a downside to me and like that's not true for everybody some people like the crowds and everything else but for me it was always like okay i'm willing to put up with everything else about this for the technical um quality aspects of it right right and i i do think that moving forward like it it does seem i mean it's it's hard to predict now because you know there's now all this stuff with with the delta variant and and so we're not in real post-pandemic times yet but um at least as far as reopenings go it it does seem that things are you know theaters are open again mostly there aren't you know restrictions on on space and and things like that um and so you know the the, we're seeing that like movies have come back or you know weekend box office theatrical box office has come back but it has not come back at the level that it was before um, yeah. And and it may you know start to rise a bit more you know I mean who knows like what the next sort of phases of the pandemic look like but whenever it starts to seem safer and um, like that that those numbers could continue creeping up but I sort of suspect they're never going to be um, like I, I it wouldn't surprise me if there's never another movie like Avengers Endgame that has like a two hundred million dollar or it was I think three hundred million dollar opening weekend right yeah yeah I mean it, I think the key will be getting back because honestly the thing that got me to go more than almost anything else was the fomo sense so if they can recover the fomo thing i think i think they still stand a pretty good chance of getting audiences back in in size but it'll all it'll depend a lot on and disney is kind of the big one like disney is the one that was best at generating the fomo and disney seems most eager to kind of evaluate if they can move past a theatrical release window model of doing business right so i think everything rides with disney right because yeah but they have both they have the power position in both uh, aspects of regards yeah well let's talk about um another new disney marvel thing loki which has been streaming for the past couple months every week on disney plus and it is, as the title suggests, it's a show about Loki, who's been in a bunch of Marvel movies. It was actually pretty much, I think, the first Marvel show that was announced for, for Disney+, Plus, but it took a little longer, I think, to, to actually get finished than, than WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter right. Soldier. Um, 
Which is weird because it seems mostly soundstage-y, but right. I guess, yeah. Because Falcon of the Winter Soldier was like, we filmed in every single place everywhere. We were all over the world, but yeah, this one was like, I don't know, it's all green screen, but they took them a long time to get it together. Yeah, yeah I well, so I didn't watch Falcon of the Winter Soldier because I never heard anything that made me excited to watch it. It was, uh, it was kind of like Black Widow, which you haven't seen also, but the summary... Somebody on Twitter was like, oh, there's baseball, baseball cap Marvel movies. And then there's like, like weird Marvel movies, I guess. And the Black Widow and Falcon and Winter Soldier are baseball cap Marvel properties, which, you know, it means what it says on the tin. It's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think that there was for me a certain sense of like, well, I know these other like baseball cap Marvel movies are already coming out, and and I guess in general Marvel stuff is a little too baseball cap for me. So, right. um, uh, and our listeners can't see this while because this is an audio only <laughs> podcast, and I'm saying this while Daryl is wearing a baseball cap or something that looks a lot right. like one. Um, <laughs> but I I think that Wandavision was definitely yeah very much skewing on the weirder side, and and in as much as I was overall I liked it, thought it was a little bit overrated, and particularly the finale, like every Marvel thing kind of shifts into sort of more of like baseball cap mode. I'm just going to use this for the rest of my life. It's a great shorthand. Yeah. I just wish I could remember the other. I'll try to find it. But yeah. Um, And I think that Loki, which I wasn't expecting because I I thought this would be another, either another WandaVision where it tries to be weird, but it's not really that weird. Or more likely, it's like, hey, this is our biggest, one of our biggest stars. He's coming to do a TV show. It's going to be very kind of down the middle, like maybe something kind of like Guardians of the Galaxy or something like that. And and so I wasn't that excited about it. And I, uh, yeah, I absolutely loved it. It's, it's my favorite Marvel thing in a long time. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's helped a lot by the strength of the cast. I think the cast is a lot of work in this one to make it good like everybody is good and i don't think it and some of the other ones like like let's say um uh wandavision right like i feel like katherine han kind of like overweights that a lot mm-hmm. like she does such a good job and then everyone else is like yeah you guys are there and they uh, on, they do do a much better job than they do in the movies because both the uh, main characters are completely forgettable in the movies and in the, th- the series they at least make an impact right but right in wandavision in wandavision yeah um but in loki yeah like everybody who appears on screen basically does a great job and uh, there are still some standouts but i think the quality above all is is fantastic and it doesn't it feels it's like is it the same i guess it's the same amount of episodes as wandavision right no it's because wandavision it was i I think nine episodes but they were like 30 minute episodes whereas this is more like 45 50 minutes six episodes so i can't do math on the fly but i think they're probably roughly (laughs) the same length but just uh wandavision was parceled out over more episodes which made sense for that show because of the whole like sort of sitcom thing yeah but it it felt tighter so i don't know like it felt like it was like more um judicious about you know it was like it, more contained and more economical in a good way but mm-hmm. yeah. loki did yeah loki did yeah yeah i i would agree with that that it felt well it was in, i mean i think the one thing i would another thing i would say uh in praise of wandavision is just that's a show that you just couldn't do as a movie like that it like the structure of it is sort of so strange and right. uncommercial that I mean, I guess you could, but you like you lose so much of um, I think what makes it interesting. Whereas Loki, I think, is much more. It's that thing that people talk about with with streaming and cable shows, where it's basically one story the whole way through, um, yeah. and a fairly sort of, in some ways, like narratively fairly straightforward. It just takes advantage of the the extended running time in so many like good ways, where you. I mean, the world building is just so creative. It visually is so impressive. The character work is so good. I mean, I think it's like everything about it is just really solid. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Though to to our earlier point, it's it's um it's not necessarily a show for people who haven't uh, watched a bunch of other Marvel stuff because it kind of right. drops you in the deep end. I mean, I do think that 
Jordan um, is somebody who's sort of like a completist and she doesn't like the feeling of, oh, I don't understand this. And so it's particularly a situation that's going to make her crazy. Whereas even if I hadn't seen a lot of the other stuff, I might have gone along with it because I don't care about like understanding all the plot points. Yeah, there's stuff that you're... Uh, there's th- there's a lot in this show that is purely enjoyable, independent of anything else that is that you know or have to know, right? But it, if you if you want to know or if you like want to feel like you are clued in, then you're gonna have problems, right? If you're willing to just be like, well, I'm not gonna understand this or any of the background of this, but I'm just gonna enjoy the acting and the characters in this particular part of the universe then yeah you'll have a good time but if you're like but why is this person or or like why does this story even exist or who you know like basically the whole overall plot is like um i mean it's kind of like a weird narrative device for the cinematic universe overall um and that's all i'll say before spoilers but like uh, yeah so it's kind of it's it's in some ways it's like the most enmeshed thing that there is and then in other ways it's like kind of independent in a delightful sort of like light way but yeah it can be both at the same time which is weird right i mean i think that uh, another way to sort of talk about some of those things is the um certainly i think the show serves a very specific narrative function within the larger Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe and is trying to get that universe to a certain place. Um, And I've seen people who sort of complain about that. They they felt like, oh, like this whole show was like a setup for the, you know, a bunch of new like movies that are coming in the future, which is a general complaint about um, Marvel. All of the shows. Yeah. Everything that Marvel does, really. Yeah. Um, I mean, I still remember seeing like the the first Avengers movie and then like realizing like, Oh, and then they're going to fight Thanos in a future movie. Like what the hell? Like this wasn't even like the grand climax, which I think you just, at a certain point you get used to it. You accept that like the narratives are never going to be fully wrapped up, not even in, in Endgame, which um, I guess ties into the other point I wanted to, to talk about, which is how this, like even talking about the setup of this show makes it clear that like, like you're just like, who, how could any newcomer like make sense of this? So the, mm. the setup is that in one of the Avengers movie, Loki, who is, is a villain. And then in a later one, he's basically been reconciled through multiple films with his brother is now sort of like more of a good guy. And he dies trying to, uh, to, to do the right thing. Um, but then, you know, and then still a later <laughs> Avengers movie, he, uh, an earlier version of him, gets a hold of a time travel device. And this is the still like chaotic, evil Loki, more evil Loki before he sort of really reformed and, um, and jumps into, you know, into time. Like, I forget exactly where he jumps to, but um, basically escapes um, from like the fate that was in store for him that we've seen. Um, And then what we learn in the first episode of Loki is that there's this agency called the uh, TVA. and, And it's sort of in charge of, preventing the universe from branching into all these multiverses and and parallel universes but instead just there's a single timeline that doesn't branch and loki getting a hold of the tesseract and jumping through time is a branch that has to be pruned and that sort of sets him off on this wild adventure through time um and yeah just like talking about all the crazy backstory that exists for this character just like man like that's that's a lot a lot to ask of somebody who hasn't bought in already. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. And yeah, I think they like kick it off at that moment of that like basically mm-hmm. just like, oh, here's where it happened in the movie and then you remember that. So it's like what? Like if you don't know anything about those movies at all, that's a lot to just kind of go, okay, I guess that's fine. I accept that this thing happened. Because there's so much there. It's, it's, like, it's like, oh, yeah, this guy, you know, he's a big villain, except kind of not, except, you know, and that like, and also, you know, in the main continuity, here's what happened to him. But this time, there was the one exception in this. It's, it's so much, so much. So, yeah, if you just, I think that what they're, 
what they're what they benefit from in this particular one is if if you have no knowledge of marvel but you're like oh i'm vaguely familiar with norse mythology it's like oh okay loki is the trickster god great like that actually helps you a lot um in terms of just setting him up as a character and and then the rest can kind of exist independently like oh i guess there's an agency that controls the timeline in the world. Like, great. Okay. Good premise. I don't really need to know any other background for that. Right. So, right. That so much of, I think that first episode in particular is a little bit of a challenge for, for a newcomer, which again, I don't really think this show is for, and that's, that's fine. Um, but then very quickly it, it builds its own mythology. And so much of what we're talking about, like the TVA is something that has not been, um, established anywhere else in, in the Marvel films or, or yeah. TV at least. Um, and it seems also like this is a, sort of an aside, but it seems like not at all to be compatible with it. And <laughs> they go into that a little bit in the show, which I find kind of fun. But um, yeah, it's I, I think it's a very interesting thing for them to introduce, given how much time they spent on building kind of the existing cinematic universe. Right. Yeah, I mean it. It, it also, I liked it because I found the explanation of time travel in Avengers Endgame to be so dissatisfying and to Very not really, ridiculous, yeah. Yeah, and to not really hold up to scrutiny. And therefore, this one, which is arguably just as hand-wavy, at least I, I just found it more interesting than the Endgame version. It, it, it prompts fewer moments where I'm like, wait a second, but what about this thing? Well, they kind of even make an excuse, excuses for that one in it like it contains excuses for that and exactly thing which is crazy but (laughs) right um so i mean beyond the 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 plot i mean i think that like you said it's just that i mean the cast is so good um yeah the owen wilson um is is you know the probably the the biggest name um yeah he plays a tva agent called mobius and he's i mean he is basically the the owen wilson character yeah he is and but it's a it's a one of those like that it's very intentional and when you want owen wilson nobody else but owen wilson will do and yeah he suits this very well right so also it's just nice to see Owen Wilson. i feel like it's been a long time since i've seen him in something yeah he uh I, somebody showed me this clip i guess this is probably of like the behind the scenes special that they put out where Owen Wilson talks about uh, Tom Hiddleston, who plays Loki, asking him, like, oh, yes, like, have you ever played Hamlet before? And Owen Wilson just starts laughing, and he's just like, you know, I, I just, I can't imagine, like, Ben Stiller ever asking me if I've played Hamlet. <laughs> That's great, yeah. <laughs> Which I would love to see Owen Wilson as Hamlet. I think that'd be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Hiddleston is a funny foil for him, because Hiddleston is sort of like actor's actor like it ranges his entire thing right Um, he is although he's also one of these guys who is so defined by by one role like that's right i mean it's hard when you get into the marvel mix and you don't come as an established actor like robbie downey jr or something although arguably it's even a right erased mm -hmm. sort of robert downey jr's history right that like tom hiddleston has basically done a bunch of marvel movies and then he's done a bunch of like, you know, period English dramas that some of which I like were like, I, I saw High Rise, which I kind of liked. Um, and then the only other sort of like blockbuster he's done is is Kong Skull Island. But like, right. I can, I liked that movie okay. And I have no memory of what he was like in it. He was very effectively generic adventure man i think in that mm-hmm. movie it was another thing of like yeah you you are a constant actor you can occupy whatever is required of you and in this case not much was required of you so <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean it also makes me think of the fact that he as people have talked about a lot in the last few weeks is that he was actually originally audition- auditioning for thor not for loki and right. It just seems, and you know, you can never know for sure, like how he would have done if he'd been cast as Loki, but it seems so obvious that he's so perfect and so great as Loki. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that would have been very interesting. Like, I assume, you know, he would have done the the Hollywood diet of boiled chicken or whatever and just kind of bulked up. But, I mean, yeah, it does seem impossible that he 
would be any other role. And it also kind of seems impossible that anybody else would play him. I think he's really occupied that character better than just about anybody else in the series, right? Right. And I mean, I think he, especially that first Thor movie, which is not very good. Um, like he's the thing that really brings it to life is that like yeah. every scene he's in suddenly has this, I mean, I think there's some comedic stuff in it that, that that's good with Chris Hemsworth. And that's kind of what they figured out over time is that Chris Hemsworth is actually a really funny guy and he should. That's be- right. Yeah. And they didn't use him as that before. And before, like there was something good about that in that, like that is like, that's like basically like the myth too. Like, Mm-hmm. Thor is basically he's never portrayed very um charitably like in the myth like he's he's always kind of like an oaf that is that is pretty dumb uh and fairly easily tricked by Loki or whatever right who is the one who's clever and interesting but I don't think cleverness and interestingness were necessarily huge virtues in like Nordic society so they were like maybe it's better to be like this <laughs> straightforward simple meatloaf man (laughs) meatloaf man is very good um (laughs) there are some other cast members i want to talk about but i I think we should probably save those for spoilers unless there are there are other things um about the show on a high level that you want to talk about or characters or things like that no i mean the one um who plays uh owen wilson's boss i forget her name Uh, and batha ra yeah, she's very good too. And she's been in other stuff as well. But I don't remember what else. Like I don't, she was she was like one of those faces where I'm like, you're she familiar. She was in San Junipero, uh the uh that sort of famously the one happy black mirror episode and a very good That's episode. Right. Yeah. And she was in um the Cloverfield effect the cloverfield experiment i forget what it was called the, the third cloverfield movie that debuted on netflix and was very uh, bad oh yeah i didn't see i mean i didn't see any of those actually but i definitely didn't see that one um but yeah anyways she was great as well so that's not a spoiler to talk about her being in there yeah although i i thought that her storyline was one of the storylines where it felt like they were trying too hard to get her to a certain point that they wanted for the for clearly for yeah. future seasons and where because she is based on a comics character i guess yes yeah yeah and to get her to be closer to the comics character whereas to me like a lot of the stuff that she did in the last couple episodes was sort of opaque and didn't necessarily make a lot of sense for the character that i'd seen so far yeah I, she made some turns that were like what and then yeah that was definitely one where i was helped a lot by looking up like comics history and then being like oh like i get why she was doing a lot of the stuff she was doing where it wasn't present in the show necessarily yeah but i don't think that's her fault that's like a writing fault right exactly um and yeah i would just say overall i mean i just think it's such a a cool looking show like a lot of like so the tva which you see at first um is this very sort of like steampunky like brazil is like seems to be kind of the major like Mm. touchstone like where it's there's a lot of technology, but it's not even like up to like our own current technology. It it has like kind of this retro, retro grimy feel, yeah. which I just think like is a fifties like, vibe. It's yeah. it, like, I, I would probably get the Brazil reference, but I haven't even seen it surprisingly, but oh, like see Brazil. It's great. I know. And to me, it struck me as like fallout sort of thing, oh, yeah. like the video game, but I mean, it's probably from the same source, right? Like they probably are copying well, or borrowing heavily from Yeah. Brazil. And I mean, I don't think Brazil like is the, you know, invented that aesthetic. It just is sort of like the most right. kind of one of the definitive examples of it. Yeah. Um, as is Loki, which again, yeah, just super cool. But then like later on, they go to like, like other planets and, uh, I think our I think it was our, our friend Greg who was comparing it to a Doctor Who episode, which it totally was. Mm-hmm. It was like a very like a, a beautiful big budget Doctor Who episode. And like they, you know, the other locations they like go to. At one point they're like just in a big box store. But I thought even that scene was like yes. so directed so suspensefully and, and it was so beautifully lit that that was actually one of my favorite scenes in the whole show. Um and yeah, everything about it like visually I think is is pretty much impeccable. Yeah, it it's crazy what they do because they have that. They have like, there's a world that's very, um, what's his name? 
uh, Fifth Element guy. Oh, Luke, Luke Besson. Very, very Luke Besson because it's like bright and neon and mm-hmm. like a dense kind of like modern alien urban environment. Like they do, and they do, they they switch between them all very seamlessly and yeah, they're like it's really cool. It's a it's a feast for the eyes show type thing, right? But and not like overblown. Like I think they do them all very um cuz a lot of them are like that the the TBA shots, right? And they're more mm-hmm. muted palette right. and everything, but it's like just so perfectly executed that you're like this is great, right? And they also put uh Tom Hiddleston in like this like outfit with like a skinny tie and like rolled up sleeves like uh yeah really quickly. it's a great outfit it's, it's perfect for him yeah yeah and you're like every time you're like oh man what a like that shirt sure it's so cool and it's also yeah. like i love that it's basically just like a white dress shirt but it has these weird shoulders that are done that are kind of like uniformy more like and they it just works very very well yeah. yeah it's the thing of i also have this a lot when i watch christopher nolan movies and i'm just like man everyone just looks so good in their suits i should go buy that's true another suit and then i look at myself in a suit and i'm like oh it's not as good not like these actors these perfectly yeah proportioned actors <laughs> i have like you know little stubby legs and little tyrannosaurus arms and everything is too floppy even when i get it custom anyway um we don't have to get too deep into that but let's uh let's move into spoilers so if you haven't uh seen the entire first season of loki and you don't want to be spoiled you should stop listening now and i think that maybe the the best place to start with that the spoilers is just to talk about sylvie um mm-hmm. who is introduced fairly early so they, there's basically another there, there's this idea that there's all these variant versions of loki who have to be pruned to keep the multiverse from being created and keeping a single sacred timeline as they say um and it turns out there's another variant um of loki who we don't realize is at first but there's sort of a surprise reveal that it's a it's a woman named who calls herself sylvie rather than than loki yeah and um yeah i think like that was an interesting reveal too, because there was like parts they don't reveal it kind of all at once. Like there's still some mystery about is she a Loki variant and like what? And there was a lot of fan theories about like is she the Enchantress because she does enchant, and I think maybe even the character's name is Sylvie for the Enchantress. Oh, okay. Uh, but I mean, it turns out that yes, yeah, she is a, a. Oh no, no, Enchantress is a Mora. That's right. Okay. Um, but even the like headdress is quite similar and mm-hmm. all the other stuff. But I think that was a purposeful feint by um, the show creators to kind of like just for dedicated fans or whatever, right? But mm-hmm. it turns out she is one a variant, and uh, but it makes it much more interesting because of the strange romantic dynamics that mm-hmm. they have going on. Um, which yeah, funny reactions to that. I think. <laughs> uh all yeah like what you were grossed out by it right or you're but also like i was in yeah i was both and i and i think that <laughs> is a sign that it's, it's successful that um they yeah. at first as you know um our our adversaries because part of the reason that loki the the loki we know the tom hiddleston loki hasn't isn't immediately sort of uh pruned is that he uh they want him to to help them track down this other loki yeah. And um, uh, so when he does, when they do finally find her, they're sort of at odds. But over time, they sort of uh, warm up to each other. And then eventually, like, there's actually a really big moment where you're, when you watch it, you're kind of like, are they, are they into each other, like, romantically? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then somebody sort of spells it out later that, like, oh, yeah, that's what was happening and why, like, all the, like, TVA readings and everything were, like, going off the charts because... It was uh, two variants falling in love with each other. Yeah. Yeah, it was very... It was good, because there is ambiguity about it at first. Where you're like, is it, is it like that? Or is it like... Um, like, they're just great, great friends or something. But, uh, yeah, that was really good. And I think... Um, I mean, they, they did that whole thing so, so, so well. Like, they... Because they didn't reveal to you at first that it even is a Loki variant, the big bad. Mm-hmm. There's just a vaguely, like a threatening character who is very powerful and merciless, right? 
Um, and they take at least a couple. Do they do it right at the end of the first episode? I don't know. They do it. They take a little while to be like, oh, and it's you. And like, I think Owen Wilson gets to deliver the reveal, right? But yeah, I think it's the fact that it's a variant, a Loki variant, is end of the first episode, and the fact that it's Sylvie is at the end of the second. Yes, that's right. Yeah, but they stay they stage it out very well, and it doesn't feel like stupid or unnecessary and it also mm-hmm. doesn't feel obvious right so i think those are all good good points for that. yeah and i mean this gets to the, the, we do eventually meet some some other variants um at a certain point when um loki has been eventually is sort of pruned which is they basically have these like shot like these stick glowing sticks that seem to like dissolve people's bodies um, and it, and it turns out that instead of killing them or just, you know, erasing them entirely, it's basically sending them to the end of time. Yeah. And that's where he meets some more variants of himself. And, um, I think in general, the show does like, I mean, A, it's just like fun and creative and the casting is great. Um, the actress yes. who plays Sylvie, I, I didn't recognize, but she, you know, does an amazing job of like both being in some ways the same person we know and in most ways very different um and then there's uh yeah they explain too kind of like when they would have branched yeah. and then a lot more makes sense right because she yeah she has a lot of the same qualities but she doesn't have the the sort of like the playfulness mm-hmm. uh and then the, but they explain very well why in fiction right so yeah i think it it, it, it is very good character work to be like okay i'm this person but this is the the point at which our lives diverge so how would you be different in that case right yeah and then in in, there's an episode where we meet um there's like a kid loki there's um a black loki all the other loki well all the other human lokis are white black loki is like a thor loki kind of because he's a big hammer yeah right yeah yeah and then there's an alligator Loki who's everyone's favorite. Um, the behind the scenes they're... of the alligator Loki are very funny. The, did you see the? It's just a blue, a stuffed blue. Oh really? Like vague uh, alligator equivalent with like googly eyes pasted on it. <laughs> so they're all just acting with that. <laughs> That's awesome. They, I, that didn't even occur to me. I thought. It was a real trained alligator that they were holding, which in retrospect yeah. now I seem like oh, yeah, that, that, that seems a lot safer just to use. A, a, wait, so is it CG or is it just a yeah. pure prosthetic? Oh, I see. So they're holding a. a no, it's like a, literally just as like a as if you had like a blue, a blue screen, but okay. in the form of an Prop. alligator shaped stuffed yeah. animal like that looks nothing like an alligator, really, except that it has the rough shape of an alligator. All right, that's like pretty effective CG and, and worked well. And then there's there's an older Loki who is played by Richard E. Grant, um, and yeah. and he's great. I just I wish there'd been more of him. That's right. Yeah, they barely they barely use those Loki variants, right? Like a, you get you get a fun hint of the variants early on when there's like a scene with Owen Wilson explaining the variants, yeah. and he kind of like pages through these various ones, and they're funny and like little holographs of them. Um, but yeah, then I was like, oh man, wouldn't it be great if we saw something? And then they literally later deliver you like, no, here are some Lokis and they're fun ones. And they're all ones that are, I think maybe even the alligator one, but they're all basically taken from various comics, uh, appearances. A lot of the show, a lot of the style and sort of like attitude and character work of this Loki are taken from Daniel Kibblesmith's run on marvel of loki which is excellent uh ended far too soon but uh, definitely worth checking out if people are interested i think it's available as a graphic novel so the we should say that part of the reason uh tom hiddleston loki does eventually get uh sent to the end of time is because so he gets basically pulled into sylvie's mission which is to bring down the tva um and so they, they confront the, I forget, what are they called? The Time Masters or whoever the yes. bosses of yeah, the TVA are. And they, you know, are very obviously like animatronics. And, and so it turns out, and then they do kill them. And then you just see these robotic heads. Um, yeah. And so, you know. Yeah, that like was a- good too. Because they just, like you use them and they look very stupid. And 
you're like, yeah. wait a minute. This can't they be. They just it. do really bad stuff, like special effects, but it's like, no, these are just stupid fake things. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. And then, then that's the moment when um, Tom Hiddleston gets pruned. Eventually, Sylvie decides that uh, to, you know, to sort of escape and get the answer she wants, she also prunes herself. And they, they both end up at the end of time, and they realize that basically there's this uh, big, vague, mo- nebulous monster called uh, Eliath, um, who mm-hmm. eats everyone at the end of time. But if you can get past Eliath, we'll see who like the true secret master is. And um, I mean, that was just such a great cliffhanger because um, yeah, they, yeah. they get past Eliath, they walk down into the castle, and then you don't. Um, you know, they have to wait a week to see who it is. Uh, yeah. I think some people did correctly speculate who it was. In my head, I was like, yes. oh, obviously the only thing that would be satisfying is if it's another Loki. That's that's what it has to be. But right. it's not. Well, but they set it up so that in future, that is that is who would be there, uh, which is kind of cool, too, because they anticipate that you think that, right? But the the character who it is, yeah, I saw the... I saw, speculation about that very early on like when they first showed the big kind of like statues of the time masters Mm. which was wrong like it was people interpreting the time masters like that center one looks like kang looks like this character from the comics and it wasn't it was just a stupid animatronic thing but it turned out that the and it does make sense in terms of who kang is in the comics and then like he being the person that is in control of this although it's not really kang necessarily it's right jonathan masters playing the majors the, jonathan majors playing the man who will become kang effectively right right um, he he so yeah. i think he's never named so the character the comic book character is kang the conqueror yeah. in the episode he's never identified by that in the credits he's just called i think he who remains yeah um yeah. But and that's how he thing, refers to himself. And he does say, I'm right. known by many names, uh, Conqueror. And he, and so he just mentions that as one. But he doesn't yeah. even say Kang the Conqueror, right? Right. And um, it, it's an interesting divergence between the experience of people who have been following sort of like the news and people who haven't. Because I was unspoiled for this episode, but I knew that Jonathan Majors had been cast as Kang the Conqueror in a future Ant-Man movie. Right. And, so, and I did not know that. So that was interesting. Yeah. So I immediately knew it was Kang the Conqueror who was who was sitting there. But like, I don't know anything about Kang the Conqueror. I haven't read any Kang the Conqueror comics. And so there was this weird moment of delight, even though I didn't know what I was being delighted by. You went, but you were just like, who is this guy? I Yeah, well, I, I knew. So I'd seen the rumors about Kang. And then um, I didn't know that they were going to do that until in his like, in his run-up speech he described kind of about who he was um and then when he said conquer i was like oh yeah that makes a lot of sense right but i didn't know that uh he had been cast in the ant-man movie or maybe i did but i just kind of like forgot that information because i saw it quite a while ago but anyways i yeah i was like this is great this is a great reveal and he did a great job of it and it's a weird character because he's kind of like um Depending on where you see him, he's one of these characters who's been around for a really long time and has worn many different guises and also is subject to... Writers tend to have a lot of fun with him because he's a kind of an empty vessel. Like, he's just an absurd character that comes from some time in the future to conquer the past. I'm like, what? Like, okay, <laughs> great. Um, and he can kind of be anyone. And, like, he has been very there's i forget what storyline but he's iron lad as well and iron lad is a hero version of him and it's so dumb his powers are dumb as hell but i've definitely read a whole story where and i forget what the series was but he was part of a team a time traveling or a reality traveling hero team and then they would fight kang and Iron Lad was one of the characters. And it's like, what is going on here? Right? Like, it, a very nonsensical, fun, multi-dimensional Marvel character. Right? Mm-hmm. And he's got, he's, got, he's got, like, despotic... He's kind of got like Doom vibes. And there are some good storylines where him and Doom are kind of, like, vying for, like, who is the most arrogant asshole despot. And, you know, like, oh, I'm the one. No, you! It's, it's fun. There's a lot of fun. So... 
I think it's a. I think it's great. I think he got that. Like Jonathan Majors did a very good job of expressing some of that fun and that chaotic energy in that. And I think it's amazing to think about like, oh, is he get? Is he going to be portraying very different versions of this and a bunch of different Marvel things? Because he can be all these things, and like that just seems like it's too good. I don't want that. I don't deserve that. None of us. <laughs> <laughs> but you're gonna get it. Um, I know. Yeah. It's so like. I mean, the other thing that's remarkable to think about is how the finale. I mean, it's almost like the opposite of the Wandavision finale because. It really, it, like, there are other things that happen, and this is a little bit of a simplification, but fundamentally, like, by far the longest scene in the finale is just Jonathan Majors explaining shit to the yeah. two Lokis. And yeah. he's so good. And and the writing is very good. Yeah. Like, you're just, I was totally entranced. Um, yeah. And, it's and crazy the, like, to have that because it's, it's basically exposition. It's basically. Yeah a character telling the audience what is going on at length and yet it's it's great it keeps you wrapped and it's amazing uh and it also it it really does change the tone uh well you're talking about the baseball cap marvels like that's Mm -hmm. that's marvel at it's like uh most blunt right it's just like a it's a brute force object it's just trying to bash you over the head with entertainment right and then but you see the Avengers movies, they're kind of halfway in between. They have to combine elements of both, but they're also self-serious. Like, they have to be self-serious right. for there to be stakes. And then what's so interesting about this series is that it's undermined all of the self-seriousness of the MCU to date. Like, there has, they have a great scene early on in this series where they're, he's got the Infinity Stone, um, the one that he stole from the whatever shield. And they're like, oh, yeah, we got, but like, there's a guy who files evidence and he's like, yeah, I'll just, and he throws it into a desk drawer with a bunch of other infinity stones and they're all worthless. Like, it's like, wait a minute, Thanos and everything about that was like an absurd, hilarious joke in this world. And you're like, there's, okay, there's a bigger bet and he's, the stakes are higher. But then when you get to that, it's kind of like, yeah, I don't know, there's a lot of universes and the stakes are high in that, like, all these things, all these people and these versions of myself are murderous and crave power but like once you start opening up the infinite timeline it all becomes a bit absurdist which is like right feels like it's much more fun it feels like you're the universe is it could be about to get a lot more fun right right but. yeah so so what happens is that that what jonathan made what kang explains to them is the reason he created the tva and, and has been basically keeping the universe in a single timeline is because he fears himself. And that like when there's a multiverse, um, there are versions of himself that basically are the ones who discover that and take advantage of it to become conquerors. And he doesn't want that. Um, And now uh, for slightly hand wavy reasons, he's decided he's going to let the two Lokis take it over or they have the option of killing him. But he makes, he says, you know, if you do that, like what's going to happen is um, I will be back a different right. variant of me will be back in this position and you might not like the way that they run things or something like that. Basically, right. right. Yeah. And so, um, it, it leads to this moment where, where Sylvie and Loki are, are at odds because Sylvie is just like, fuck you. Like I've been through too much. I'm going to kill you. And, um, Loki is like, no, this is a bad idea. Although there's also this element of the way he puts it is like, you can't trust anyone and I can't be trusted. Um, yeah. And, yeah, uh, there's a paradox which he so, seems to enjoy. This is another good place where like their different paths show up really well. Yeah. Like she doesn't have the option of entertaining subtleties of like things being intention, and he does, which you know is why he likes this sort of like more sophisticated potential endpoint. Um, yeah, yeah, and she's like, no, like i was a child this is for me i'm bent on revenge and it's simplistic and it's one path right so yeah yeah and so she she kills him and kills kang and and well first she kisses uh the uh tom hiddleston um in the moment that i found both sexy and disturbing (laughs) um but then shoves him through this dimensional portal that sends him back to the the tva uh kills kang who says i'll see you soon and then we cut back to the the TVA, and um, it's it, we see that the Owen Wilson character and and another character who also works there, they're sort of talking. And at first, you think maybe 
Um, it's just what we've seen before, at least. I think they're trying to you know, trick you into thinking that, but then when Tom Hiddleston yeah. runs up and tries to talk to them, they have no idea who he is, and then he looks up and he sees a statue of Kang in the TVA. Yeah, end of season. Kang wearing essentially the Time Master's gear, like, and it, which, is, which does resemble like Kang's uh, sort of iconic in fiction comics outfit, which is a very stupid outfit by almost any measure, but uh, also... Yeah, like instantly recognizable and and goes with his whole character, which is a sort of like, it's, it's such a good character because it's at once like he, he can do what he says, but also he's very absurd. And he looks like a, he looks like a weird, like combination of like a sci-fi future person and like a guy out of a Ren fair or something. And you're like, what? Like, I, I don't take you seriously, but. He's also deadly serious on the other part, right? So I'm just very excited about what they're going to do with that. And yeah, and it's, but it's great because it sets it up immediately. It does, it's not like the other Marvel series in that you come to the end and you're like, well, I guess I'll see, like, this will be good background going into the next blockbuster movie. This is like, oh, there's going to be another series and it's going to pick up right where this one left off. And, you know, that's what they say right at the end of the show, yeah. which is cool. So. Yeah. Right. I think that there will, so they, they, they established there will be a second season of Loki at least, and it will probably be his continued adventures in the TVA, trying to stop Kang. Trying to get people to remember who he is. Yeah. Right. The <laughs> At the same time, they've established now that, that the, there is now a multiverse in, yeah. uh, the Marvel Universe is a multiverse, which is always a, a little bit of a mixed bag because I think it gets, when you try to follow it too closely, it's just impossible to understand. And it's just like really overwhelming when you're like oh this is the superman of earth one versus the superman of earth two yeah like yeah. it just it gets crazy but if you treat it more just like anything can happen it's all up for grabs like then i think it's it's like don't worry about it too much then yeah. it's a lot of fun yeah well they're gonna have so this what if series is gonna be interesting right because it's sort of like what if things had been different and the various, mm -hmm. all the main characters that you know, right? And it looks like a very good series, a fun series, but it, the title implies that they're not, like, it's going to be so strange for them to define kind of like what's canon canon and what's like a fun diversion. Right. And like the multiverse in the comics, especially in Marvel, it mostly shows up in... I mean, basically, they did the Ultimates universe, and then they mm -hmm. did the main universe, and then eventually they right. folded them together because they didn't want to have two universes again, right? Which is what brought us Miles Morales, uh, yeah. for instance. But, I, yeah, I'm very curious what they do. I mean, I guess the Multiverse of Madness, Doctor Strange, is going to be the next big kind of, like, building block of how this is going to mm -hmm. play out in fiction. So that'll be interesting to watch, but um yeah it could be it could be great it i i don't want it to become a thing where it means like nothing matters and yeah because part of the fun is the interconnectedness right although i guess that's part they're probably concerned that that's also part of the alienation for new audience members which is the same for comics the, the age old yeah. problem of how do you get right. new readers when things are so fucking crazy right? i yeah i suspect what will happen is you you still sort of have them, which is what how they do it in the comics, as I understand. It, is like they're still a main universe, and most of the stories are in the main yeah. universe. And then once in a while, you can sort of acknowledge that you know there are these parallel universes. You get like alternate versions of characters that, that we find interesting, or send our like, the, the character we know into like this very different universe. So it'll be sort of used very sparingly because if you're supposed to care about like ten different versions of Iron Man equally, like that's yeah. just impossible yeah you know i think this is interesting just from a um like a i guess a storytelling perspective but like how will they do a lot of this stuff in the comics that they've done uh like with miles morales for instance right is like they initially did them as alternate versions of characters to kind of avoid alienating mm -hmm. their existing predominantly white like male audience who might not be the most tolerant or liberal in terms of their political views, right? Who might be racist, right? So right. like they'd created all these splinter things so that they could create a character like Miles Morales who exists 
contemporaneously with Peter Parker, but doesn't mm-hmm. supersede Peter Parker because they don't want right. to like throw away their like. A lot of them are we are just political machinations of characters to try to appease all audiences, right? So like, I wonder what's going to happen. It's gonna all the all the dynamics are going to be at play in the movies too, and I'm just very curious to see how they kind of navigate those waters because to their credit, like the you know the comics then brought in miles morales's canon which was like okay at least at least you acknowledge that but they still didn't get rid of peter parker and there's there's all kinds of concessions they still make but it's it's really just a powder keg of like you know dealing with kind of like modern audiences and stuff like that i think you have less there's hopefully there's less to navigate i mean we've seen that there isn't we've seen that people are still awful i was going to say hopefully there's less to navigate when you're doing with a brand new cinematic universe but that's not true because all the same (laughs) fucking trolls are still there but yeah yeah um i think the one other thing i would i would say about it that was striking to me was i mean i think in general sort of dc versus marvel is a sort of childish game to play um but like that but said, DC it was. Sucks, so. <laughs> it is delightful <laughs> to me on some level that, like, for years, the DC, the Warner Brothers executives have been talking about how they're going to do a multiverse and it'll sort of become clear in uh, yeah. the new Flash movie, which I'm really excited about. Michael Keaton coming back as Batman. Like, they, I'm yeah. super pumped. Um, but. I mean, I think, and Marvel had hinted they were moving in this direction because they'd already announced a movie called Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. But it wasn't. I think until Loki came out, it wasn't clear how far they were going to go in this direction. I mean, it's still not entirely clear, but that they've like now canonically said, okay, there's a multiverse and we've like now created this multiverse. Um, and they're now and it's so meta because they have they literally like have the thing the plot line and they have like the splinters off and you can see them in writers rooms just like th- like joking about like this is how yeah. we think about these but and then they it it's it spreads it sparks like infinite variants at the end when they start right. to, when they kiss I think is the moment or right. whatever right but right yeah but like I think the DC executives for a long time have sort of talked about it as that's what's going to distinguish them. Like, oh yeah, like we're yeah, different because yeah. we're going to have a multiverse and so we're going to have, we're not going to be all tied to like one thing or like one tone or one uh, canon, but rather like we can have a bunch of different versions. We can have the terrible like Joker movie. We can have, you know, yeah. um, and obviously like you, that's, you can do that without having sort of a quote unquote multiverse, but I love that they were like, this is going to be, be our advantage. And then, Marvel just completely beats them to the punch. Well, and they did it intentionally instead of like through an accident of like, like DC never seemed to be doing it on purpose. They were just like, how do all these things exist concurrently? And then like, how do our bad WB shows exist with this thing? And they just said, it's a multiverse. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But if it brings back Michael Keaton as Batman, I'm I'm here for it. I'm I'm ready. But I think, I mean, what I think is going to be, great about this i mean i think for you specifically is like the kang to me reminds me more of some of the more fun dc stuff like the i mean fun before the new movies ruined it like um uh what do you call it the mother boxes and yeah uh, a lot of like the sort of like fourth world jack kirby stuff yes the cosmic stuff yeah so i think that part is gonna be fun and like they already they'd already done some stuff like that like they did good stuff with the space things in in yeah. Marvel and Taika Waititi is largely to credit for a lot of that, but I think it's going to get even more fun. So I'm excited yeah. about it. Yeah. Well, uh, do we have any final thoughts about Loki? No, just you know, watch it. It's great. It's got great, great performances, great contrivances, and really good storytelling. Storytelling that is also super meta, and that it's like doing real work for the overall um marvel cinematic universe in very tangible ways so you know you can appreciate it on a lot of levels basically yeah um i yeah i think it's great and i'm almost a little angry at it because after endgame i really thought which i liked a lot but like i sort of thought like okay this is a great sort of end to this period of being obsessed with with marvel and marvel movies um and now I'm obsessed with Marvel again. So thanks a yeah, lot. Yeah, for Loki. a totally different reason. So yeah, cool. good job. 
Well, uh, if you've watched Loki and you have thoughts you want to share, you can email us, info at originalcontentpodcast.com, info at originalcontentpodcast.com. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter at Original Content, and we always appreciate when you leave us a positive review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on the podcast app of your choice. Next week, I think we are talking about Sexy beasts. so Daryl, yes. I'll talk to you then. I'm sure it'll be just as... Like we'll have the it'll probably be the same as this episode in terms of what we say about it. Same depth. Same. Right, we might as well just run this episode again. <laughs> <laughs>